Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. So, KD, a lot to get to. A really interesting storyline with the Cowboys, you know, surrounding their next game with Baltimore. It's going to be a Tuesday night, so we're looking at a 12-day break between games for the Cowboys, right, between Thanksgiving and this random Tuesday night game now because of COVID. So, talk about, you know, even on a bye week, teams don't get this much time off. This is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild that the Cowboys have, uh, like you said, by essence, a second bye week of the season, and it's through nothing that they've done. So, obviously, 2020 was always going to be a strange year. They've, for the most part, avoided uh, much schedule realignment. Uh, I know that Pittsburgh lost their bye week earlier in the season, and you know it made it a little bit difficult for, for them to deal with the Titans, and now here they are again dealing with the Ravens and their COVID fiasco uh, as it weaves through that entire roster. Uh, but the Cowboys are innocent bystanders, and it's, it's a point that we made on uh, my other pod on Catch This Fade, that the NFL seems to be bending backwards to a Accommodate the Ravens and basically everybody else is left to fend for themselves. You know, we had the, in- the incident with Denver. They had no quarterbacks available to play. So they had a practice squad rookie wide receiver that they converted to a quarterback and had to play a game. And it seems like they're saying, well, the Broncos aren't in the playoffs. So, you know, really, is, the, is that really that big of a deal? The Cowboys now with their game being shifted at first, it was shifted uh, from the Thursday night. It was supposed to be tomorrow night. Clearly, the Ravens haven't played uh, their most recent game or the game leading up to that yet. So it's been pushed back. It was push back to Monday and then when they push back Pittsburgh and Baltimore again from Tuesday to Wednesday, the Cowboys game got pushed from Monday afternoon to now Tuesday night. And while that's all well and good with the fact that they have this breather in between their Thursday uh, Thanksgiving game and their next game, that then puts them in a bind for the following week because they're going to play the Ravens on the road on Tuesday night, which means they're not going to get back to Dallas until early in the hours Wednesday morning. And then they have to turn around and fly out to Cincinnati on the following Saturday to play at noon Central Time kickoff game against the Bengals. So the Cowboys have done nothing wrong, but their schedule was crammed in. It's my opinion that, okay, you had to push the Steelers and the Baltimore game back until Wednesday. This is Baltimore's fault. No matter what you have to say about it, Baltimore's uh, strength and conditioning assistant, whoever it was that they disciplined, uh, was the one that basically spread COVID throughout the team. That's who they traced it back to. This was an internal issue. So Baltimore should be in a situation where they play tonight on Wednesday, and then they have to turn around and play the game against Dallas on Monday to make sure that Dallas isn't further uh, troubled by the fact that Baltimore was not very cautious in how they dealt dealt with uh, the spread of the disease within their own locker room. So it's just one of those situations that's crazy all around. But yeah, Dallas is going to bear the brunt, uh, at least be one of the teams that, that kind of, you know, nobody seems to care what happens to them as long as the Ravens are given the most opportunity to play their full schedule. I think I saw a story on the Cowboys wire. The NFL has reached its tipping point. It has, right? The COVID tipping yep. point. We've hit it, right? It's all hell's breaking loose. And yeah, that Bronco situation was out of control. I think we could probably talk about that later. We should give it some time because I'd love to get your take on that game. Yep. Bananas. But, uh, you know, the headline that was on Cowboys wire Thursday night, I just, heavy-hearted Cowboys make putrid calls, show little fight in 41-16 blowout loss to Washington. And that's what it was. There was a lot of layers to this game. Obviously, with 
what happened with Coach Paul, you knew that they were carrying that with them. We talked about it on Thanksgiving morning when we actually jumped mm-hmm. in here and yep. did it. And you could see that that was that was definitely affecting the coaches and players. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I think it was like Van Der Esch. They showed you know visibly sobbing on the sideline pregame. I mean that that's a tough thing. But then you get into the game, Katie, and I don't know. It's hard to really justify the way Mike McCarthy approached it. Like, he just kind of played with reckless abandon, kind of. He just, like, I don't know, the fourth down, going forward deep in your own end, the ridiculous fake punt, you know, that we could, I mean... We could talk about that for the, for the rest of the day, you know, for the rest of the year. How how crazy and how ridiculous that play call was. What did you think about the the approach? I mean, I think you wrote about maybe the Cowboys weren't in a position, given what happened with their strength coach and the passing of Marcus Paul. Maybe they weren't in a position to kind of throw the kitchen sink at Washington in that game. Like, what do you think about that? My biggest issue with the way that the Cowboys approached the game was that they made calls as if they were good at the things that they were trying to get away with. <laughs> Are you seriously? That was my big. That's my. Big biggest issue that's my biggest takeaway I, I exclaimed that I do not hold anything that happened in this game against them over the course you know when we're talking about the outlook of the season I've trashed them for decisions that they've made uh who's playing who's not playing coaching hires all of that sort of stuff all of that goes by the wayside for this particular game by itself it's in a vacuum the fact that they had a short week first of all makes anything difficult the fact that you had a short week interrupted by the death of a coach takes it to an extreme level of giving them a reason not to be performing their best and not to have planned their best the fact that it happened in front of them not just you know they lost somebody he was at home and he passed away no this happened in front of players and other coaches so the magnitude of that the impact that has on people to have to turn around and play a game And again, the NFL is pushing all of these games around on the schedule. They have no problem moving around Baltimore because of their ineptitude in handling the virus. But the Cowboys couldn't get an extra day because they were the Thanksgiving game, even though they were dealing with all of this. When it came down to the actual play selections, my issue with the fake punt is simply that they're not good at running fake punts. I really don't have a problem with them calling that play. They're three and 18. They're not good. And not good teams have to figure out a way to uh, rally themselves and and to give themselves an advantage. And they went for it and they missed. Uh, I have other issues with the coaching, um, them calling the timeout with 23 seconds left in the half. That was a coaching error that shouldn't be made. Them having 14 players on the field, you're only supposed to have 11. They have three extra men on the field. That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Those are those sorts of things, you know, that you see is under their control. But going for the fourth down, there was pass interference. The, I, I don't agree with fourth and one calls you trying to pass the ball. But they did try to pass the ball, and it would have been a good play if the referees had called defensive pass interference. The defender got there early. Bad call by the refs. That screwed them. Now, the timing of it, sure, you can question that. But again, they were trying to jumpstart their team and give them something. Obviously, they were down. Obviously, they were hurting. And I really can't fault a coach for trying to find something that inspires them to play that game and and to say, we're going to go all out. I, I made a point. I forgot who I saw it from, but it made perfect sense. Coaches that have bad teams but plan to be around in the future, yes, this Cowboys team is bad, but maybe it's better if they go ahead and say, we're going to be daring. We're going to be bold. We're going to try to do any and everything to set ourselves up to be victorious and to be that team once we get the full complement of healthy players back. We are going to be this adventurous team, and I want everybody to get accustomed to it now. Even though we're losing, even though it's not working, the most important thing is I want everybody to know that this is the type of team that we're going to be moving forward. When it came to that fourth down, uh, the, the fake punt, the fake punt 
worked. They got a man wide open who would have gone for a touchdown if the person they gave the ball to had looked for him. So the biggest issue with that fake punt was that Cedric Wilson didn't look for the guy that was streaking down the field because he was wide open and that's where the play should have gone. They covered for him after the fact by saying that it was a one read play and they expected Washington to let the puncher be free and they were going to throw to him. The play worked. They had a guy, yes, he's a defensive back, but he has much more of a chance of turning into a big play than a puncher does receiving the pass. Uh, they had C.J. Goodwin streaking down the streaking down the sideline. If Cedric Wilson had seen him, it, the play would have worked. So I know that it's easy to beat up the coaching staff because of all the things that they did that were in their control. They didn't work out and it kind of compounds, you know. It's excusable, but when you're looking at it from the point of view that there were five or six blunders, then you can pick all you want to at each and every one of them. And those are the most visible mistakes, uh, quote unquote mistakes that they made. But all in all, I really don't have a problem with it outside of the fact that they're just not good at converting those plays right now. So why try them? Exactly. Yeah, we, we haven't seen a lot of the fake punts work KD this year. So I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, maybe we should maybe we should put that thing away. <laughs> yeah, just wait until 2021. <laughs> He's been trying that all year and that thing's not working. So there's tons to unpack from this game. Let's continue it on the other side. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk strong plays for week 13 of the fantasy football season. Quarterback Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cousins has really picked up his play of late, and he gets his star receiver Adam Thielen back in the lineup after one week off due to COVID-19. Only the Dallas Cowboys have given up more passing touchdowns in 2020 than the Jaguars. Jacksonville is hardly a threat to pick off a pass, and the yardage against them is fifth in the NFL. Factor in Dalvin Cook, and Jacksonville's defense will be spread too thin. New England Patriots running back Damian Harris at the Los Angeles Chargers. All seven rushing touchdowns against the Bolts have come since week seven, and the position has yielded seven different performances of at least 60 yards in that time. There have been eight double-digit PPR efforts over that period as well, and Harris has a chance to rebound after a couple of weeks with lukewarm results. New York Jets wide receiver Brashad Perriman versus the Las Vegas Raiders. In Perriman's last five games, scattered over seven weeks thanks to injuries and a bye, the well-traveled veteran has generated at least 10.2 PPR points four times. Since week 9's breakout game against the Pats, Perriman has produced with both Joe Flacco and Sam Darnold at quarterback. Las Vegas has given up a wide receiver touchdown every 12.3 completions, and just 10 teams have given up more yards to the position in 2020. And at tight end, Kyle Rudolph of the Minnesota Vikings will pick on the Jaguars one more time. As mentioned, Thielen returns to balance out this offense. The matchup is a major plus as well, and the Jaguars have granted tight ends four touchdowns in the last five games. The volume has been low, which, unlike week 12 for Rudolph, has been the norm all season long. And that's fine. You're only playing him as a flyer to get into the end zone, and he can be used as a stack with Kirk Cousins in redraft and DFS action in Week 13. So one interesting note about this, KD, as well, is that Washington Cowboys Thanksgiving in that in that 4.30 Eastern window was still the most watched game. It was the most watched game of the entire NFL season so far. Uh, so yeah. people tuned into this game, and I think that's why I went there, right? Like, yeah, I get being daring and going all out and trying anything and everything, even if you know in the back of your – even if you know in your heart it's not going to work as a coach, you just got to try. But you end up getting embarrassed in front of a huge yep. national TV audience on a, on a day that matters to the Cowboys, matters to the fans, matters to Jerry Jones, right? Like, I know I, I was watching the game and – 
I was trying to watch it through that lens like we've talked about, like, okay, if they lose, it's all good. And if they win, like, hey, we'll talk about them having a shot at the NFC East title, right? But I don't know. I didn't feel good with the way they lost. You know what I mean? Like, that's still – that bugged me. And I, and I just imagine for a diehard Cowboys fan, that had to bug them. Losing 41-16 to Washington, to that team, at home on Thanksgiving – it just couldn't have sat too well. Yeah, it brought back memories of losing in 2012 uh, during uh, Robert Griffin III's rookie season. Um, that that date basically lives in infamy for Cowboys fans. Yeah, you brought it up. Because we, we've never been that embarrassed before. I mean, there, there's there been some bad Cowboys teams over the year. You know, the Cowboys aren't one of the franchises that stays bad. They, you know, they normally, they're either mediocre, they bubble up and they're good, they have injuries and they drop down and they're bad, but it's never really a consistent losing atmosphere for the last 20 five thirty years they've been competitive in some regard when they lost that game in 2012 it was kind of like what are we going to do because it just seemed like the washington franchise had the formula that was going to allow them to dominate football for the next five ten years remember when the read option first hit the nfl nobody could figure out how to stop it and it was just fully on display when washington took the cowboys basically to the woodshed on thanksgiving so down 28 to 3 you were never able to live that one down this one was kind of different in the fact that even though both teams looked bad the Cowboys were still competitive until that failed punt and of course after the after the failed fake punt Washington scored on the very next play and you could literally see the entire sideline being demoralized that's the other thing that happened you want to convince your team that you believe in them but what actually happened was the exact opposite them failing on that fake punt led to their team basically giving up on the afternoon the Cowboys had no fight left after that play failed so maybe that that was even more of a reason not to try it in that situation uh because they gave up the Antonio Gibson touchdown like I said on the very next play but all all in all it was just kind of one of those things that yeah everybody was watching you hate to put that performance out on tape when the whole nation is watching but I will say this it was the most watched football game of the season but let's also remember what happened it's Thanksgiving during a pandemic when families couldn't be together so as opposed to having two TVs on in a household you know because you have overflow from your dinner table and so on and so forth because you have 30 people in your household that's now spread out around five or six houses so now instead of two TVs on it's five or six TVs on watching the game so maybe it wasn't that many more people that actually witnessed that atrocity than we think that's a great take I like that it's a great take (laughs) more TVs but the same amount of people there you go I like that but I mean obviously there's so many layers to this uh, but one of the, the major ones was I mean the Cowboys lose Zach Martin and Cam Irving almost on like back-to-back plays it felt like and I mean if you're a betting person you have and you're in a state where you can bet on the phone with those live apps that you know the the line continues to change throughout the game and you Mm -hmm. had a chance to bet on Washington whatever the spread was at that point uh and I think Washington was an underdog coming in right yeah uh as soon as those two offensive linemen go down you look on your phone and you bet Washington plus three or whatever it was at the time and that's what I I actually did bang Uh, yeah because I'm like (laughs) I'm like yo they're they're in big trouble man like they can't afford to lose these guys if if they could lose anyone it couldn't be zach martin it couldn't be cam right. irving that was right. just it was almost like they were crippled from the start there kd right they just there was no coming back from that yeah there's there's uh, and that goes for the rest of the season too zach martin is out for uh any length of time and it looks like he's going to be out at least uh, three to four weeks which by all accounts is the rest of the season the season's over uh they, they, the cowboys have absolutely no chance of blocking anybody in the run game they have no chance of protecting any of their quarterbacks much less andy dalton without zach martin out there he was the only thing 
holding them together. And now you're in a situation where not only are you without Zach Martin at right guard, you have to play Terrence Steele at right tackle again. And that is just a recipe for disaster. Um, I, I don't even know which direction to go with this. It's it's gotten pretty bad when it comes to the Cowboys. So no run game, no pass game. Defense is hit or miss without Trevon Diggs now in the secondary. Like what hope is there right now for the Cowboys uh, to turn this around? Everything that we talked about when they were three and seven and, you know, within sniffing distance of the NFC East and going on a run down the rest of the season, that was all contingent on Zach Martin being one of the best players in the NFL being available. Now they don't have that and everything else that hinges on having solid protection for it to work, the run game, the pass game, all of that goes by the wayside without him out there. Now, the only people happy right now are those hoping for the uh, the good draft pick for yep, the Cowboys. The tankers, right? team, the tank, tank. team tank. <laughs> team tank's happy. And Katie, I think you have a take, or at least you guys have a story out on Cowboys Wire about team tank, about the Cowboys picking in the top five and what they might do with that draft pick. Would they move it? Let's talk about that coming up next. <laughs> It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast, joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. We're breaking down the Monday night football game between the San Francisco 49ers and Buffalo Bills. The 49ers come in as two-and-a-half-point underdogs as the official home team in this. They have minus 106 odds. The Bills, minus 115 odds to win by a minimum of three points. Jeff, do the Bills continue to roll through 2020, or are the 49ers back on track? Oh, for sure. I'm on the Bills to win by more than a field goal here. Josh Allen could stretch the 49ers defense more so than Jared Goff could last week. And I think this Bills defense is trending up. And it's going to do a good job against the 49ers rush and make Nick Mullins beat them in the air. I think the 49ers are back on track. That They're getting healthy. The, the running game looking strong. The defense coming on as well. Kyle Shanahan's squad fighting for a playoff spot. I think they make it back-to-back and beat the Bills. Back the 49ers, plus 2.5. KD, you buying or selling Cowboys trading a top five pick if they do end up there in next year's draft? There's so much that goes into that. Right now, the Cowboys are in position for a top five pick. They're number four based on strength of schedule, tiebreakers. Uh, I believe they're tied with the Los Angeles Chargers. And based on if you're looking at the entire full 16-game schedule, the Cowboys are number four. If you're looking at the schedule through week 12, uh, then the Cowboys are number five. But basically, they are tied with the Chargers right now as far as the same record at three and eight and they're behind Cincinnati now the Jets are locked into number one they're not going to win another game this year uh they might win one but no, that yeah. would be a miracle no yeah no. I'm, with I'm with you I'm with you the first right it, it, would, it would take a lot for the Jets to win a game um I think the only reason they're keeping Adam Gase employed right now is because of the fact that he will most likely lose the rest of the games he's, and get them that number one pick he's the pilot um, of the tank I like to say game there, game. there you go exactly he's driving that sucker straight yes, into the mountaintop yes he is <laughs> um then you have Jacksonville who they've played competitively a couple of the last weeks, so they might win a game. It's a real 
stretch to imagine they're going to win two or three of their next games. So Jeff, number one, Jacksonville, number two. And then you have Cincinnati, who the Cowboys play in a couple weeks uh, after this Baltimore game, as a matter of fact. The Cowboys could conceivably lose that game and move into the number three position. But either way, even if Cincinnati stays at number three, they have their quarterback of the future. And not only do they have Joe Burrow, but they have such a huge need at the offensive line position that I don't think Cincinnati would trade away from Sewell, the kid from Oregon, if they ended up with that number three slot. So the Cowboys at number four, if they can fend off the Chargers for that uh, situation, they would probably be the team most likely to be willing to bail out and allow another team to come up and draft the third quarterback. Now, when you look at the draft landscape this year, you have Trevor Lawrence, who seems to be the clear-cut number one, and then you have a competition for a QB2 between uh, Justin Fields of Ohio State and then the Wilson kid from BYU. So if a team thinks that they have, uh, you know, whichever one is left, if that's their guy, they might be willing to come up and offer the Cowboys a bounty for number four. And you really don't normally see a big hole for trading back for number four, but this could be one of those scenarios where the Cowboys could be offered what I would hope to be a number one pick, a top 10 pick, top 12 pick this year, another top 50 or 60 pick, meaning a second round pick this year, in addition to a number one pick next year. Because when I look around the draft landscape, I'm not all that enamored with a lot of the names that are in this draft. Uh, just based on the early returns that I'm seeing from people, I, I'm not a draft I'm not a draft prognosticator or anything like that. I dabble in it. I do mock drafts and all that kind of stuff. But I basically rely on other people telling me what they see in these players. And then I fit that into what I think the Cowboys could use and how their scheme works. But from what I'm seeing, I'm not that enamored in this draft class. So if I trade down, I'm really focused on being able to get assets moving forward into the future. Yes, get me more picks now this year, but also get me picks in 2022 when the class might be more in line with what it is that the Cowboys desperately need. It's not a strong draft when it comes to defensive tackles. It's not a strong draft when it comes to safeties. And to me, those are the two biggest needs along with cornerback for the Cowboys. So I can definitely see them looking to move back. I just want them to do it wisely and not do it just to do it. If they don't get future picks, then go ahead and take the top corner, whether that's Patrick Sertan out of Alabama or Farley, the kid out of Virginia Tech, or one of those, you know, one of those type of players. Uh, Sewell, if he drops, certainly you have to consider taking him. Uh, but I, I think it's right for the Cowboys to trade back. I just want them to do it wisely and make sure that they get assets for when it's a more stacked draft class. Yeah, let somebody get nutty, right? Let somebody give you that, yeah. that haul. And I feel like the Cowboys, if they do indeed bring back Dak, and I think we all, we're all in agreement that we believe the Cowboys front office when they say they're going to bring back Dak Prescott and they're going to figure that thing out in the offseason. I think absolutely. I think they're the perfect team, KD, to move back, get more picks, more good picks, as you said, and start to fill some of these gaps, these needs on the team. I think they're the perfect mm-hmm. candidate. I think it's a, it's a great take. And if you look at BetMGM, BetMGM's odds to, for the teams in the NFC East, they now have the Cowboys clear it away number four. Uh, despite their easier schedule down the stretch, they had the Cowboys at plus 500 to win the division now at three and eight. They think that the Cowboys will finish you know, maybe dead last in this division. And I think that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Get the, get the draft pick, get the haul. Fill some of these, uh, you know, some of these needs, uh, especially on defense, maybe in the O line as well. Get Dak Prescott back, and we'll be a different looking team in 2021. That's that's the hope, and hopefully the Cowboys don't screw it. I, I've seen some crazy talk about trading Dak Prescott and the number four pick to move up to number one for Trevor Lawrence, and I just need to know what those guys are smoking because <laughs> yeah, please keep me away from whatever drug those guys are on to us to think that you're going to trade a surefire Pro Bowl caliber quarterback for a lottery ticket. And then not only that, but also give up the number four pick in order to 
to move up to do that. That's insane talk right there. The Cowboys are not trading Dak and a number four pick in order to move up and select a quarterback who you have no idea whether they're going to be good or not. It's not happening. No, let Trevor Lawrence and the Jets figure that thing out. Yeah. 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 Lawrence yeah. is going to be like, no, nah, I'm staying here for, I'm going to be a seventh year senior if I can. I'm not going to the Jets. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, we usually talk about the next opponent a little bit. The Cowboys have the Ravens, but uh, never before have we been recording, KD, while the game is like about to kick off. It's kind of, it's a little different this year. Covering football, man. This is nutty. It's getting real nutty. It's pretty crazy. Um, You know, hopefully the Ravens have enough guys that are available that they can suit up and play (laughs) this game and and make a competitive effort. They're struggling. So I'm really interested to see what they look like without Lamar Jackson. Uh, I believe RG3 is set to... um, set to start because I think the other backup Trace McSorley is part of the COVID positive test as well. So it's I don't even know who's available for them right now. That's how confusing everything's been over the last week for the Ravens franchise. Beyond football, you hope that nobody that has tested positive has a serious issue with their health based on this. Because, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed. Yes, they are professional athletes and they are in tremendous shape and much better shape than the general public. Yes, they are all young. They're between the ages of 20 and 30 and all of those sorts of things. But we have seen COVID infect people that did not know they had underlying conditions at a young age and it really wrecked their lives. Uh, we've seen it in co- in the college game sprinkled in. We haven't had that issue in the NFL yet. I hope we do not have that issue. But first and foremost, let's just hope that everybody has a full recovery and then we can worry about the fact that the NFL has completely screwed it up by handling this whole uh, ordeal as far as how they, how they treat different teams and their situations. He's KD Drummond. Join us next week on the Cowboys Wire podcast. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.